With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast, presented by Tennis Express. We deliver tennis worldwide right to your front door. And now, here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. Uh, three of us are back. I'm Ed McGrogan, along with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner. Uh, back after a, a Wimbledon, uh, French Open. Everybody's back here now. And How's uh, that Guinness over in Ireland, Ed? And, and a trip to Ireland, too. And let me tell you, the sport... The world sport you got to check out is not soccer, as Pete. I know you'll attest. It's hurling. That's hurling. that's the hurling. game. Yeah, the Gaelic games. That's is that done at, after a trip to a bar. Is that or is that <laughs> it, where you play? It's very, <laughs> it's very traditional that way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, well, Steve, you like court tennis, right? So maybe hurling would be that's like another <laughs> little minor thing. We can. hurling doesn't <laughs> doesn't sound as complicated. No, I, I wouldn't think so. The uh, the real tennis is probably a little too advanced for uh, the the blokes hurlers. There, but, yeah, but um, back to talk about regular tennis here and um post wimbledon if you look at the schedule it's kind of strange you know there's a grass event in newport there's some little hardcore events starting and there's still some clay actually going on too and um you know the schedule kind of is not really as defined at this point in the year but pete you notice that there's actually a very sizable clay season in europe that's kind of built over the years and uh i Heard you had some thoughts on that. Well, you know, you, you really have kind of a full-blown little mini clay court circuit going on in Europe. And, you know, more power to them. I mean, so, you know, if players want to play, great. You know, Europeans want to play. They're playing close to home. That's good, too. So, you know, far be it for me to say they should all, like, come to the United States now and prepare for the U.S. Open, you know, this many weeks out from the tournament. But I think also it's, it's a bit of a problem for me in that, you know, you look at that and you say, what, clay, red clay? I thought we were done with that, you know, mm-hmm. because you got the big run-up to the Roland Garros, and then you've got the French Open. So, you know, to me, it's a little like, you know, plus you don't have some of the uh, top players there, including, you know, led by Rafael Nadal. So I don't know how Steve feels about it. But to me, it's a little like, you know, granted, it's probably an okay thing. But, you know, what does it all mean? Yeah, the the tour seems to reach a peak at Wimbledon. And then we start all over, scatter, scatter to the U.S. and Europe. Just it doesn't go straight into hard courts the way you might, you know, you might think or maybe the way it used to. Because um, one thing is Hamburg. Uh, the biggest tournament of the of the clay court events it used to be a master series. It got it got dropped from that and moved to to this this part of the of the schedule. But it's still a big event. It's still an event a lot of guys like to play and have played for a while and it has money enough money that it can compete with with these U.S. hard court tournaments. But, but Pete's right. The only the, the main problem is this, this little time period, especially the, with the clay events, doesn't seem to go anywhere. It's just a few scattered solo events that don't really you know they don't lead up to a slam yeah so it's 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 something entirely different from say where there's hardcore you know it's not like there's clay we have clay events post french open pre-french open we also have hardcore events post you know in the beginning of the year the end of the year this is something wholly different that you see is you know really just 
irrelevant, do you say, or what do you think? Well, about if you that? want to defend the red clay circuit, you could certainly look to Australia and say, look, how come? Look, we have Australia, and then they have Indian Wells and Miami, you know, so they go back to hard court. So yeah, that's there's some validity to that point of view. On the other hand, there's also a continuity. Granted, there are a couple indoor events and even a couple clay events. In all fairness, in that early part of the year, but you get the sense that. You know, it's sort of turned backwards. It's like watching a film in reverse. You got the Australian Open. You know, you got a couple events before, but then you got the Australian Open, and then after that, you got a bunch of hard court events and indoor events and some clay. And you wonder, you know, wouldn't it be better? You know, I clearly it would be better if the Australian Open came at the time of say Miami, and just in terms of you know having a logical narrative, a run up to the tournament, and, and have it be played. But I think in this case, with Wimbledon and the French both being open, especially the French, because that you know that Roland Garros series, as I like to call it, you know, is really a significant continuous thing to, to now come back afterwards is, to some degree it's all gravy on you know literally for the players because it gives them some earning yeah. opportunities and that's already a significant that role in gyro season is, is already a, a significant number of long and important tournaments too and it just gets you go back to clay here again too so. yeah i think part of it is the split the old split between the itf and the tours because the hamburg is a is the old german open which is which was used is part of the federations which is different from the U.S. tour event, so it's it's a typical thing where you have you have tennis basically not unified, and and this is the kind of this is the kind of overlap you get. It's funny you mention that because sometimes I almost wonder if the, we wouldn't be better off throwing out all these designations and the Masters one thousand and five hundred and WTA mandatory and Premier mandatory and all this stuff, and just basically gave. Every nation that wanted one have what essentially they all have, which is a national championships, mm-hmm. and then just have those be the tournaments. Have the German Open, have the French Open, have the you know Spanish Open, the Italian Open. That's more like what it used to be before before the professional tours. That's right. The tour was organized along those opens more or less, and it always followed the sun, so they didn't even bump into each other that much. And you know uh, that that wouldn't be a bad approach, actually. Mm. Well, like you said, not all of the big players will be playing in these events right after Wimbledon. Um, Although I should say that part of, I believe, Rafael Nadal's huge 81 match winning streak is probably owed to some of these events. He used to play in, like, Bastad and Stuttgart. Stuttgart, yeah. Yeah, so whatever. It, it, they always have their place. We always make fine stories for the week. But, um, but one player who uh, did come right out after Wimbledon was Novak Djokovic. A couple other big guys, but Djokovic probably had the best performance and most, most notable in Davis Cup. Uh, you know, they have their quarterfinals immediately following Wimbledon. And he put in a big result uh, in a, in a you know, politically charged match with Croatia, and Serbia won that in four in uh, four rubbers, with Djokovic taking the final one in straight sets, actually, over Cilic. And the fourth rubber he took. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Djokovic had a very nice Wimbledon semifinals. Um, now he's up to number two in the world. But do you see any more of a – is this a, his plateau, I guess, what I want to say, or, you know – it does actually think that maybe he can finally break through and get back to what he was doing in 2008 when he was winning a slam. I think this could be a turnaround match. I think this could be a sort of a you know maybe not a career to, you know career defining is a little bit you know strong term, but I mean it could be a very significant match for him. Look, I mean a guy. Hey, you know, four Wimbledon semifinals among the men. How many played Davis Cup the week after Wimbledon? One, Novak Djokovic. So basically, you know, it was it was a good effort for him to get up and good effort for him to play as well as he did, considering that he was in a Wimbledon semis. He's gonna he's just gonna get a lot of self respect out of this, I think, especially because he went into a really hostile environment. Croatians and Serbs are always seem to be at each other's throats. These you know feelings go back a long way historically, and he went in there and got the job done. You know, he clinched the match to tie for them in the fourth rubber. It was and he. Played a quality opponent in Chilich, and he pretty much crushed him. I think it's a, it depends on how much you think Davis Cup 
sort of bleeds over into the tour. But some guys it does. Verdasco began his run with a Davis Cup win. But then other guys just, they sort of, they do well in Davis Cup, and then they don't. it doesn't carry over to the tour. Look at David Nalbandian, Marat Safin. Those guys were, were Davis. The Davis Cup really focused them, you know, brought them a focus that they didn't have when they played on their own. I, I tend to think Djokovic is like those guys. He mm-hmm. he is he's a little um I don't know, he can he can be all over the place emotionally and, and mentally when he's just playing tour events, but when he when he plays in the in the Davis Cup he's very you know, he's he's he has a real purpose. He doesn't get too down, he's, he's he sticks in it. It's a little like a little like like I said, Safin and maybe Ilya Nastasi that that playing in this sort of it does something for their for their mental approach to the Davis Cup. I don't I don't know whether I see that carrying over uh, after this. Shop Tennis Express for the best selection of top brands with expert service at fair prices. The Tennis Express team is available to help you find the right tennis gear. Shop Tennis Express and find out why their customers call them a candy store for tennis players. Call 1-800-833-6615 or log on to www.tennisexpress.com today. Yeah, and he, Djokovic also had a pretty good Davis Cup result in the first uh, first round of matches or the spring, and we kind of had some high hopes for him, and then he didn't end up kind of delivering on those later on in clay. Well, he's got confidence. I mean, I think you know, well, you know, but I mean, that, that's a little bit my point is I think these Davis Cup these Davis Cup performances have been turning in. I, you know, I mean, who knows? You'd have to be inside his head to know. But I think in a way they're carrying him along, and they're certainly making these losses easier to bear because he's you know he's got to be thinking at some point. Well, I still got Davis Cup. You know his 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 reputation at home is you know probably couldn't be higher than it is right now, and yet in spite of you know that's in spite of the fact that at Wimbledon he played a really lousy match. I mean yeah, he and if you you know if you looked at the uh, what he said afterwards and, and the way people analyze that match, I said this, you know he said basically he went out there and hoped the guy was going to make mistakes and and this and that. And he said well clearly you know, uh, you I, know I shouldn't have been should waiting have, yeah. exactly. I didn't play the way I should have. And for a guy of his caliber with a Grand Slam title to his name and number two ranking, that's a pretty big confession. That was pretty big screw up that was a um i you know watching the match i thought this shows that Djokovic doesn't have what he had in in 08 he doesn't have he's more of just a solid sort of almost defensive consistent player who will allow a guy like burdich to beat him almost like a not quite like murray but a little along those lines who will allow a big hitter to beat him and that's what Djokovic had sort of become maybe maybe it's sort of uh comes from the uh time with todd martin when he when he tried to calm him down but then I liked what he said afterwards. I liked that he said that he didn't play it right. So maybe, you know, that's something he realizes. No, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, he got, he got roughed up pretty bad. So, you know, his you know, wake-up call, I'm sure, he's a little, I'm sure his ego was a little bit bruised after that one. I think maybe Davis Cup, you know, if anything, maybe helped him recover from that. And maybe now he looks forward to the hard court season. He plays well on hard courts. He should do well at the U.S. Open. He, you know, he's got every reason to go into this segment now feeling pretty good about himself. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. And I think the bigger thing is, is besides his play, there's – kind of the opportunity because of a lot of other players you're kind of wondering about them in particular Federer even though Federer's really had his way with Djokovic of recent years but you kind of have to wonder about Federer a little bit and even though I know Nadal is on that plane that we're seeing just uh, you know unstoppable type levels it's still always been the trend that he has slowed down at this point of the year but um, Steve I know you wrote a little about Nadal becoming you know is this even a yeah, greater track upward so now it's the question we'll see we don't know yet this is the you know in 08 this is when he peaked and he kept going through the olympics but he didn't keep going through the u.s open we'll see whether this 
this continues that trend or whether whether that changes and he I feel like this time it might be different. He has a month off. He's he won the finals of the French and Wimbledon routinely. He must feel a lot of confidence coming out of that. I thought he played even when he was going through five setters early at Wimbledon, he never really showed anything but but confidence that he was going to win those matches. And this time he's you know he's he's made a couple mentions about the U.S. Open more than he has in the past already, yeah. which which you know is you know he's he's started to say that's the one that's the one I want. So I, I'm I feel like this could be a this could be a year where he where he continues where he doesn't have that drop off. One significant problem for him though I think is that look look the guy does not really like hard courts particularly, and let's face it he's become a very good player on them. He's changed his game to get better on them. There's no question about it. But there's a very baseline level, fundamental level at which the guy doesn't really like hard courts that that much, and he uh, basically has. You know, I think, uh, and I think that could affect a guy. You know, I mean, he, you know, what's what's astonishing, I think, and people, you know, had a hard time believing. I think now they believe is that the guy actually loves grass too. Everyone really thought of him as his clay court machine, and you know, one trick pony kind of, you know, great on clay, you know, just very good on other. He's stuff a natural surface clay. man. No, exactly, and it's a natural surface but man. But yeah, it's funny because it doesn't really make that much sense because they don't play. They don't play a lot. They play more alike than they used to, but they don't play alike. He just, I guess, he just likes the footing on. On both of those surfaces, yeah, they're both for, they're both for athletes in a way. You know, he, he can get his he can get his stamina and his great retrieving ability into play on clay, which is fun. And on grass, I, the retrieving comes into it on grass too because he goes from defense to offense so well. But I mean, I think he just loves running around on his natural surfaces, and I think he's totally, totally at ease both at Wimbledon and at French Open. I'm not so sure he's still at ease on hard courts, and it's pretty easy if you're you know. You're out there, it's, you know, 110 degrees at the U.S. Open, and it's really hot, and some guy like a Eugene or somebody is, you know, raining down big serves. You might think, well, it's just not my day, or this isn't my surface. Yeah. One, uh, we'll just have one other note about the women, too, is the the women's Wimbledon champion, Serena. Pete, you actually said, I don't know, I don't know what your thoughts are, that she, you might not see her until Flushing Meadows, actually, with this little injury of hers, a little foot problem. Uh <laughs> Steve, were you out dancing with her? Were you like at a disco with her or something? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I heard all about it on Twitter. It sounded great. How does she tweet while she's at a nightclub? I don't know. How do you do that? Probably has a ghost Twitter or something like that. You know? No, but it's kind of funny. She has, you know, there's, there's some mystery surrounding this foot injury. She has this cut foot. I guess it required stitches, you know. And, you know, I can't help but think that she's basically setting herself up for a couple of withdrawals from these from these upcoming significant events. Yeah, she, you know, after... After the Australian, we didn't see her much until the French, and now Wimbledon, we won't see her much until the U.S. Open. She, fo- you know, she focuses on the slams, and 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 that's what she does. I, it's not like I don't believe that she's injured, but but her purpose is is the Grand Slams, and that's and also Justine Hennon will be out this summer. So the the women's tour suddenly, which was looking so good at the beginning of the year, this summer it's 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 going to take a hit. Like and it and it usually does in North America, a lot, a lot of withdrawals. You know, it's funny, but the Hennon thing is, is the real mystery to me. I mean, there's no real mystery about Serena. Look, I mean, you know, she basically, we know how she feels. You just put it, you just said it. But, I mean, I think with Hennon, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we, you, you look at slow motion replay of that fall she took. And there's, there's very little sign of the kind of injury that would, like, keep her out for the whole summer. I, I, I'm not sure I'm buying it, frankly. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, challenge that she's hurt, but I also wonder if she really, really wants to play. I, you know, she's basically, her comeback, I think, has, has been a very, very mixed one granted she's played well she's gotten a lot of semis she's gotten finals and stuff but you know i think i don't think she came back for that i mean no. she said she came back to win wimbledon you know that was one of the overwhelming reasons 
And she also came back, I think, to be one of the top two or three players, challenging at the top all the time. And I'm not sure it's going to happen. And, and, you know, getting beat up by Kim Kleisters every time she runs into her someplace can't be f- making her feel too good either. I wouldn't be surprised if she does some serious reevaluation. I think this comeback is really, really in jeopardy. Yeah, three losses to Kleisters. Plus, she had the – if this – this injury keeps her out until you know past the U.S. Open, and she had another finger injury. She's she's very fragile, surprisingly fragile this time around. She's uh, I don't know what that what that indicates, but I think you're right. People, you know, if you come back after having been tired of the game, and then suddenly you're not doing quite as well as you thought. That that can't be an easy situation. And forgive me if I don't think that the new world number two, Yelena Yankovic, now. <laughs> Digest that for a minute, Paul. <laughs> well, Forgive me if I don't think that her or some of the other other ladies will challenge Serena um, in the coming months. This is just this is looking as simple for, foot injury or not. I don't see another U.S. Open sort of diverting from the usual path. But and it looks like Wozniacki's gone away too, right? She was, you know, yeah. you know, after the U.S. Open last year, everybody's thinking she's going to be in the mix right at the top, but she's been curiously ineffective during it. During it. Azarenka and Wozniacki both both sort of. Uh, on a bit of a downswing. It's hard to say, looking at these summer tournaments in California, what, what we'll see. Yeah. Puronkova. Puronkova, Kvitova. Wimbledon semifinalist. You could see her. Kvitova, yeah. absolutely. She's a nice player. Yeah. Got a big game. We'll check it out when next tournaments come around. Uh, we'll have a podcast up shortly. And, again, send any questions to podcast at tennis.com. Uh, for Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner, I'm Ed McGrogan. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Tennis.com podcast, presented by Tennis Express, the tennis industry's retailer of the year. For more news and information, head over to Tennis.com. Thanks for listening.